1: BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back.
2: Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Shorty bringing the best of my Times Radio show. It is Politics Without the Boring Bits, Monday to Friday, 10 till 1. And we are in Liverpool. For the Labour Party conference, a cracking podcast coming up for you today. Something for everyone. Uh, we take a look back on our focus groups and how they've changed their views on Keir Starmer. What did they say about him three years ago? What do they say about him now? Uh, and uh, this time last year, I sat down with Angela Rayner. She told me uh, that she might like to swap uh, Deputy PMQs for doing shots with Therese Coffee. Well, for the last year, I've been trying to arrange cocktails with Angela Rayner. And it finally happened. At the Spectator Party, I had an espresso martini with Angela Rayner, Deputy Leader of the Labour Party, and Wes Streeting, Shadow Health Secretary, who was very keen to stress everything in moderation that's coming up in just a moment but first as we always do it's time for the columnist panel the columnists on times radio yeah joining me live on the times radio stand here in liverpool times columnist rachel sylvester hi nice, man nice to see you and patrick
3: McGuire. hello what are you reading there patrick it is my complimentary copy of the morning star uh, and what, what are you? Hey, no, sorry, I hope that doesn't get me sacked. Uh, if anyone, I think it's good to, to be across a broad range. No, no, no. Look, it's uh, you know, it's coverage of the trade union movement is very good. I now know that Plaid Cymru's trade union branch opposes free So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, you don't get that in any okay. other the daily more, newspaper. More
2: on that as we get it. More on that as we get it. Uh, if there's anyone still listening, uh, Rachel, what are you expecting <laughs> from the conference today?
4: <laughs> um... It's so different, the atmosphere to last week, isn't it? It's just absolutely buzzing with businesses, lobbyists. We're in the exhibition hall, absolutely jam-packed, unlike last week, where it seemed to be all Tory stands. Um, But I think what's interesting is whether Labour can give a positive pitch so there's so much caution around the party. Rachel Reeves her whole purpose is to say we can be trusted on the economy but they still haven't really given a convincing pitch about why people should change to them rather than changing from the Tories. I was in a focus group um, a couple of weeks ago for the Health Commission and at the end they said, what do you think of Keir Starmer? And everyone, three people unprompted said, well, they can't be any worse than the current lot. But none of them had a kind of clear idea yeah. of what's the positive reason to vote Labour. So I think that's the job for this week, really.
2: And Patrick, you're very plugged in with Team Starmer. Are they Is everyone on board with the ultra-cautious uh, plan you know don't startle the horses don't do anything too uh lively don't put a target on your back uh for the tories or are there some voices who are saying look to seal that deal to lock in that 20 point lead we need to be bolder and actually just a bit more cheerful
3: well look the answer to that question is yes in in some respects which is why we saw in the month before this conference keir starmer come out and make a positive offer on migration, that's not a value judgment on the policy, that's just to say he came out and defined himself, his own migration policy, despite the risks and the backlash. Uh, Ditto his stance on Europe. So look, there is certainly an awareness at the very top of the Labour Party that they need to set out their own policies on contentious areas. You also saw a little bit of that not sure it was terribly well executed from Rachel Reeves this morning. In my column a couple of weeks ago, I said Rachel Reeves was going to use this conference to start making quite a careful argument about borrowing to invest uh, in key infrastructure projects, helping businesses have the certainty to make their own investments by using government borrowing to invest uh, in those sorts of projects too. She was on the media round this morning making that argument, but you could tell that it wasn't something she was entirely comfortable doing or that she knew that she couldn't go as far as she would like perhaps. it was really interesting
2: i thought that the back and forth with stick able on breakfast where he would say, so these are your you, these are your fiscal rules you want debt to be falling by the end of the parliament but you might borrow at the beginning of the parliament on the expectation that debt overall would still work and she just wouldn't that was what she was saying but she didn't quite want to say it presumably because she knows as soon as she does the toys would be straight out saying, yeah. typical labor they're always borrowing money
3: or it means actually her fiscal rules in government will be a little bit less prescriptive than the one she's talking about now. Neither scenario, politically, is something the opposition want to risk, because as you say, the Tories then say, look, same old Labour. And it will attack them in very familiar terms. Uh, I think the
4: interesting thing is that the Labour's kind of historic Achilles heel, hasn't it, has been that, rep, you know, the not having a reputation for economic competence, being fear, people fearing that they can't be trusted with your money. Um, and the Liz Trust mini budget completely flipped the tables on that and undermined the Conservatives' reputation yeah. on that. So there is an opportunity here for Labour, but they are absolutely fixated on that sense of the importance of economic competence and that I and mean, I think it is a absolutely necessary prerequisite for victory but it probably isn't enough to for the landslide that they're hoping for and the interesting thing in terms of the sort of borrowing argument is how do you define value so is it you know if you think about health or education you may spend something in the short term early years education it's it, there's an upfront cost but the benefits over 20 30 years even 10 years yeah. are absolutely Multiple of the investment.
3: Yeah, and I was on a panel with Liz Kendall, the shadow working pension secretary, yesterday, and she made quite an interesting point, while, uh, which was we should think about the care sector as sort of key critical national infrastructure in the same way that you do HS2. And sort of some eyebrows went up in the audience, but she said, well, look, it unlocks economic potential in the same way that a new transport link does. Women who wouldn't otherwise have been able to go to work can go to work. People who might have been sucked up in the care system might be able to be supported. Uh, into work, and she was drawing comparisons with Australia and the US. So it's very, you know, there are lots of very interesting it was discussions interesting. I, going on.
4: Actually, when I interviewed Rachel Reeves a few months ago, she made exactly the same point about childcare. And she was saying, you know, male chancellors love to put on a hard hat and a high-vis jacket and go to some sort of building site, talk about railways and planes, trains and automobiles. But actually a fee- as a female chancellor, she would hope to invest in what she called soft infrastructure, yeah. which is things like childcare, which is about getting women back into the workplace.
3: And would probably involve a big outlay, you know, however many billion a year, diso childcare. But the challenge for Labour is moving on from that discussion, as Rachel Reeves tried to this morning, to saying, look, that is an investment that can generate much more economic growth. But I'm not sure they've nailed that yet.
2: And actually, Keir Starmer and Wes were making the same point yesterday about waiting lists. You know, usually they save the money from uh, non-TOMs if they can get to, to get staff to work a weekend to try and bring them to the waiting list. So there's 7 million people on waiting lists and actually if they got their operations, they got better, they could be back in the workforce, yeah. some of them, and that generates growth as well. So it's interesting that they are taking what would sometimes be seen as slightly soft labour issues, childcare, the care system, the NHS, and turning it into a sort of hard-headed economic argument that if people are better, they can get into work and boost the economy. Yeah, it's an interesting... It's an interesting way of framing it.
3: But also the question is, and this is a a genuine question, I don't know the answer, is you know, the growth mission of the of Keir Starmer's five missions uh, that can trip off everybody's tongue is couched in quite academic abstract terms, you know, the highest sustained growth in the G7. You compare that to the language Keir Starmer was using on the doorsteps with our Sawa and Rutherglen, which was all about making work pay, the dignity of work, and you see that they're once th- th- there is a big gap between yeah, yeah, yeah. the tangible and well, the... Nobody's
2: talking about the missions anymore, are they? Well, no. yeah, They've slightly disappeared. Now, I want to talk to you about deep fakes because uh, online yesterday there was some audio circulating which appeared to be Keir Starmer swearing at some of his staffers. Uh, and there also him talking about how much he hates the city of Liverpool. Um, no, we're not going to play it because then we're sort of adding to the you know, the, the credibility of it because it is a fake and we would... I was talking to someone only last night in the Labour Party, so we're actually really worried about this because it just goes to show that actually it was really convincing. It did sound exactly like somebody just recorded something on their phone of, of Keir Starmer. And it is it could potentially be a big problem
3: in, a, in an election campaign, Patrick. Yes, it definitely could. Um, the uh, election that's just happened in Slovakia, where a pro-Kremlin uh, candidate won, was dominated by deepfakes and lots of the campaign... Um, yeah, some people say that's from the campaign. I don't know enough about Slovakian politics, but it's interesting that that discussion is happening in an in a, uh, election with a contentious result. What this story reminds me of, though, is um, when um, Armando Iannucci and Chris Morris and Steve Coogan were making On the Hour in the early 90s, they did something almost identical to this, which was Steve Coogan, obviously an amazing impressionist, did a pitch-perfect impression of Neil Kinnock. In the Midland Hotel in Manchester, berating a waiter for not giving him the right wine, and they played it down the line to a tabloid newspaper, and very nearly, very nearly sold it to them because Steve Coogan's impression of, um, of Neil Kinnock was so impressive. So look, this isn't, this isn't new, but that you don't need to engage Steve Coogan to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah makes and it, it is very dangerous it's
4: so much more sophisticated because now they can do it with video as well yeah. as audio, and actually it's, it goes beyond individual party politics. I thought it was really interesting Tom Tukentatt last night mm. tweeted that this was something really worrying and dangerous yeah. and had to be resisted because and actually trust in politics is much bigger than any one party
2: and it's interesting because I think actually some platforms then took it took it down after you know being contacted by the Labour Party but i was thinking once it ends up in whatsapp exactly and you know and actually were it to be a clip of Keir Starmer apparently being rude about liverpool it pinging around whatsapp groups in liverpool have you seen this have you seen this have you seen this and there's no way of controlling that there's no can you take that down and
4: also if it becomes subterranean that you, you don't it doesn't even really hit exactly. the headlines it's sort of pinging around at a very low level yeah um, it's really subversive
2: Well, um, I'll be interested to see what, uh, well, hopefully we won't see any more of it, but I suspect that we will, just because, like you were saying, Patrick, the technology is there, that almost anyone can put together amazing quality uh, and do we,
4: know, we don't know who did this.
2: I don't think so. But imagine
4: it? if you had a sort of foreign power it, trying to manipulate a, an election. It's not beyond the realms of possibilities.
5: Absolutely, it? absolutely. Across the UK, on DAB, online and on your smart speaker, Matt Chorley
4: on Times Radio.
2: Very good morning to Matt Chorley coming to you from the Labour Party Conference in Liverpool. Still joined by Rachel Sylvester and Patrick Maguire. Um, and we've just been joined by the journalist Paul Mason as well from the New European. Morning, Paul. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. To, uh, good to have you. Um, we've just talked about deep fakes, uh, yep. and you, you've been a journalist for a long time, Paul. Um, it, it's it's hard, isn't it, when you see something on social media? It, the the, the, the Keir Starmer one is very convincing, and it, well, it could become a big part of if an election. If you know
6: Keir Starmer, it's not that convincing. Well, that's true. Uh, it, you know, it's a. It, I, I thought it was a kind of uh, spitting image uh, caricature, but uh, listen, it, when uh, the. the I got to see it because there's this rancid group called Oh Kisa Corbyn inspired. The people who are, who supported that uh, horrible documentary about Jeremy and who were trying to unseat Keir Starmer, they put it around yesterday. And I've looked on their Twitter account this morning. It says, that after it was debunked, this voice recording has been analysed and appears to be authentic, not AI generated as they want you to believe. There must be an Im- Keir Starmer must be investigated thoroughly. I mean there are a section of people who are down the rabbit hole thankfully they're not here I can tell you they're not here at all and even where they were which was this the world transformed uh, festival outside you know a couple of uh, a kilometer away the, the people organizing that are pretty dismayed about what so the antics of some of the people we're going to talk about Palestine in a minute Israel but the, there is a, a nutty left uh, it, it's completely marginalized here now in, in labor
2: and of all the achievements of Keir Starmer over the last three and a bit years as became leader, I mean, lots of people in the Labour Party thought there was probably a two-term job yep. to try and deal with that. That actually, they are so far outside the fringe, it, it's well, quite an achievement. Well, look... The the argument we had, I supported Keir Starmer for
6: leadership. I, I, I was part of the broader Corbyn movement. It didn't particularly like my position over Brexit, uh, which was to remain. And I fell out with a lot of people towards the end. But, you know, I, I, after we lost in 2019, my position was we can win, we can come back. Because there were some ex- extreme factors on the doorstep. And, and the most extreme one was, was national security distrust of jeremy over that so i've spent the last three four years trying to remedy that um, we thought that kia if you did radical social and economic policies combined with the traditional labor values on crime security defense foreign policy could convince enough people back that was before covid before ukraine things have blown up i think that's that strategy has delivered we're not in a 10-year wilderness. We're not sitting here with nobody coming to the, as you pointed yeah. out, Rachel. There's quite a few people here. It is remarkably corporate, even more than last year. Um, You've got a tie on, Paul. I always have a red <laughs> tie on. I, I always always have a red tie on at Labour Party calls. Very good. But it's
4: fascinating as well, in terms of the sort of fringes being on the outside compared to last, last week, where Nigel Farage dancing with Priti Patel. You can't imagine yeah, Jeremy right. Corbyn dancing with Yvette Cooper. <laughs> <laughs>
6: But it's, I, it's that's not, terrifying. I, I, I that's mean, definitely
2: a deep fake yeah. I don't want to say.
6: I think you asked us to be a bit more cheerful. I think it is an incredibly cheerful conference, but it's a cheerfulness restrained by two things. One, of course, is this terrible event in, in Israel, yeah. the terrorist attack. But the other one you were referring to earlier in your discussion is, I don't think, it's not like Labour's 20-point lead is a Ming vase that they're trying to carry through for the next year. The economy is a ming vase. You cannot make the kind of dis- uh, promises we would want to be making yeah. when b- guilt yields are hovering between 4.5%, that's, that's 200 times the cost of money what it was two years ago when in this hall Rachel Reeves promised to borrow and spend 28 billion. Yeah. Even a lefty like me and a statist I am, accepts that the kind of statements you can make in a period of very high fiscal risk have to be, have to be carefully changed. calibrated
2: let's go back then to uh, the what's been happening in Israel well and the left's response to it so this was um jeremy corbyn uh, he was in liverpool yesterday we didn't attend the conference he was asked by itv news if he condemns hamas let's take a listen
6: yesterday i sent out a statement calling for a ceasefire calling for peace and calling for an end to the occupation of Palestine, which of course is fundamentally the background to the whole issue. Obviously, all attacks are wrong. But do you, Thank you. I think um, I've made Hamas. my point, I think I've made my Excuse point, me. very clearly. quite made the point. Yeah. Yeah. Wait a, a, a minute. minute. What, you, you, what the man
2: is saying is exactly right. The thing I don't un- understand, Patrick, about Jeremy Corbyn, is his own worst enemy sometimes. You know, when he dug in on anti-Semitism, he just couldn't seem to notice that people were were so angry with him, similarly on this just condemn Hamas
3: well look, Jeremy isn't condemning Hamas because that's not how he reads the conflict in Israel one, and two it's a temperamental question when Gabriel Poglin and I wrote our book on this period, on the fall of Corbynism, left out the thing that everybody who was close to Jeremy during that period told us was he is incredibly stubborn and wedded to his self-definition as an anti-imperialist anti-racist, so if you tell him something That threatens that self-definition his answer isn't introspection or self-reflection critical self-reflection it is to double down and sort of luxuriate in his own righteousness and you and you hear that there you hear the resentment that anyone could be questioning that
6: I think I listened to that several times over and you know Jeremy's not just an MP for Islington North he's a privy councillor of this country for Her Majesty the Queen and if I were in that position and asked that question you would say we condemn Hamas fundamentally and thoroughly for their terrorist attack You would say, as David Lammy said yesterday, that within international law, Israel has the right to go and find the perpetrators, bring them to justice, to rescue the the, the hostages. Whatever the rights and wrongs of the occupation of the West Bank and the the multi-decade oppression of Palestinian people, which is true, we can't lose sight of, you you cannot say because the one exists, the other one is in some way justified or incapable of being addressed with concreteness, because Jeremy's words there are all attacks are wrong. It's all attacks, not just I condemn all attacks, but all attacks are morally wrong. Well, I know that large parts of the left don't think that all military action is morally wrong. I don't think it. I think if Ukraine attacks Moscow, that's right uh, right now, under these circumstances. So he's hiding, I think, a, a real position behind words that make no sense and it dismays me because um, he's still a member of the Labour Party, even if he's not a Labour MP. It's a good job he's not a Labour MP, because I can't see the, the the leadership and the PLP standing for this kind of equivocation much longer. I certainly...
2: And we've seen pretty strong condemnation from Keir Starmer, from uh, Rachel Reeves this morning as well, Rachel, because they know that this is a risk for them. If it brings back up in people's minds, as Paul was saying, Jeremy Corbyn's uh, attitude to national security, to our allies, they want to make sure that that is very much a Jeremy Corbyn thing and it doesn't become a Labour Party thing. Yeah,
4: it's a risk but it's also an opportunity because a leader has to define themselves against something as well as for something and if Keir Starmer can define himself against Jeremy Corbyn then that is an entirely good thing because the voters utterly and completely rejected Jeremy Corbyn and all his ideas particularly as Paul says on national security. You know that's his prism and he can't see his own flaws or his own uh shortcomings because he believes as patrick says in his own righteousness he's a kind of moral superiority which blinds him to the truth
2: patrick just explain what's going on with labor mp apsana begum who posed with the palestinian solidarity campaign she's been condemned by lots of people but she hasn't been suspended by keir starmer what's what's the calculation do you think well
3: i asked this question of a very senior aide to keir starmer on saturday night hours after apsana begum had been um Photographs at the Palestine Solidarity Campaign stand uh, in this very hall. It was after the attack had been launched, and the reply I got was words to the effect of, "Look, the Palestine Solidarity Campaign is a legitimate, in other words, middle of the road organisation who we've given a stall to here. So you can't, re- and we're as a party in favour of a two state solution. So you can't really say." You, it's a prima facie offence to yeah, be. Yeah, i have a trade stand
2: here and then, and then say what well, 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 you know, goes near by it. By that yeah, logic, yeah, yeah. they'd
3: have to keep the PSC out. Maybe they will. But I don't know, Like Paul, do you think the campaign group, the socialist campaign group of Labour MPs, do you think they are disciplined enough and wise enough to get through this? war, this conflict, this conference, without doing anything that gives Keir Starmer a pretext to suspend them. The,
6: the they're, they're not even united on the fundamental issues. On Ukraine, there's a few people who've been very pro-Russia, or Russia-friendly. Um, the, the, that Socialist campaign group barely functions. The, the issue with, with Absama, remember, there is a party in her uh, in her constituency, inspired, which yeah. won, won the council election, that has a much harder line p- position than, than than the one she expressed. So, The the background to this is not um, a bunch of crazy ideas out there on the left. The background is that large numbers of Muslims in British communities are worried about what is happening, not just to to Palestinians in general, but in the Al-Aqsa Mosque situation in Jerusalem. when, I think you've heard Labour people be very clear on condemnation of Hamas and very clear, you know, I've reported from Gaza and my, I am churned up by what I'm seeing to, to my Israeli left-wing friends reporting on the hour every hour, new person, we know who's dead. We've got to remove the emotion from this situation because there are communities out there that are feeling very emotional on both sides about this.
2: Oh, Sylvester and Patrick McGuire. Then, of course, you can read them both in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Redbox. Up next, I drink cocktails with Angela Rayner and Wes Streeting.
0: Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online
4: From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite.
1: This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.
2: You're listening to the Red Box podcast. Now, a year ago, I sat down with Angela Rayner. We discussed a whole load of things going up against the then Deputy Prime Minister Therese coffee, And uh, she suggested that maybe uh, she would uh, swap doing PMQs for doing shots.
7: Instead of PMQs, PMQs. Shots. shots. Jager bombs. Yeah. I can do a bomb. Oh you know, I can do a Sambuca, any yeah. flavour. There's there's <laughs> another one called a Slippery. I'm not going to mention nipple. the rest of it. You can it. nipple. I'm, I'm, I, it's just tacky, isn't it? But they're well, nice. I've said it now. I, they're quite tasty.
2: That's what you like. I'm going to talk to you now about cocktails.
7: Okay. Angela. Well, you know my cocktail.
2: Well, this time last year, you told me you loved a Slippery Nipple, but you're drinking a Espresso Martini.
7: Yeah, because they haven't got Venom
2: look, oh, yeah, look we've right
7: got then. the shadow health secretary soon to be health secretary hopefully here with us so alcohol in moderation yes i'm i'm here
8: to observe proceedings make sure that people you've got a clipboard are, and you're writing down everything yeah, that everyone's drinking I'm, i am clutching here in my hand a coffee yeah <laughs> <laughs> it uh, a dispersive no it's a coffee for the benefit of the tape uh, it's a coffee and uh yes it's um everything's going well here uh, it's nice to see the spectator here at the Labour Party conference that says something about of all the straws in the, and the wind it's quite it's quite something the spectators are the bible of the Tory party
2: are having a party Look, I'm
7: just upset that they haven't put Venom on the menu <laughs> what right. is Venom Venom is a great drink so when I do it I do it for the masses I don't do it for small quantities just to qualify yeah. right. that before I say it where it's, is
3: this going
7: it's right. a litre of absolute vodka right a liter of Southern Comfort. Yeah. About ten bottles of Blue Wicked. Yeah. And a liter of orange juice. It's really good. And I promise you, whoever comes to your party will have a great night. I mean, that's uh, that that more how,
8: lethal where... <laughs> than Dawn Butler's rum punch at Jamaica night. Where does that fit on your um, public health plan? and everything in moderation Matt if people take a small sip of Angela's Venom uh, that is uh, acceptable can I
7: just say it's not my Venom no I I discovered it I didn't create it do you vape? because I used to smoke and smoking is bad for your health I vape, but I am going to give up vaping because because, he's, because
8: Wes where's is coming for you. No, no, I've got Angela's absolutely right. For a smoker like Angela to switch on to vaping is better than smoking, and as a smoking cessation tool, fantastic. Where Angela and I are furious is that a generation of kids have been addicted to nicotine by vapes that are. Marketed, packaged and flavoured to appeal to kids. And that's a bloody disgrace. And the warning that we have given to the vaping industry this week is that unless you clean up your act, a Labour government will come down on you like a ton of bricks.
7: And you know, vaping, it gives you all the benefits without any of the negatives. So actually, I think vaping is quite addictive. But if you're on cigarettes, vaping is good to get off the cigarettes. But you have to then move on to the next phase because vaping's not good and neither is smoking so if you're a young person don't vape don't smoke because your lungs are great and you don't know what you're putting yourself in for
8: and the message this week is you know where Labour leads the Conservatives follow we were clear about the fact that we were going to clamp down on vaping the Conservatives decided they would step up and we were also clear that the best thing we could do for this generation of kids is to stop them smoking in the first place. And what did Rishi Sunak announce last week at Conservative Conference? A Labour proposal, a New Zealand Labour proposal, as well as a UK Labour proposal, to phase out smoking for kids altogether. And the rare bit of good news for poor old rishi who had to promise a free vote because he's scared of liz truss is that he doesn't need the cranks the crackpots and the conspiracy theorists of the conservative party labor will deliver the votes he needs to deliver that smoking ban for children and that means that a generation of young people are even less likely to smoke than they are to vote conservative and have you kicked the habit of those enormous coffees you had the last time you came in I think you'll find last time I came in it was a venti hot chocolate with cream, Matt. I'd had a hard it time. It I'd had a hard time. But um, no, I have kicked the I've kicked the hot chocolate wait, wait, wait. habit and, going? and I've gone going? on to coffee. I'm just trying to leave. What song
2: should Keir come on to on Wednesday? On Tuesday? Uh, I mean... Things can only get better?
7: No, that was done before. Okay. Keir, Keir's a new, different, like, Politician, so I think you know, Kira is he's a Blondie fan. <laughs> is he? He's a Blondie fan, so I think um, he should do something from Blondie, something from Blondie, okay. something uplifting. Like we've all had One such a we've had such a difficult time over the last couple yeah. of years. We need something uplifting, like not not something that is about like oh we can't deliver it, but actually something that's like yeah. You're gonna do that, and you're gonna make my life
8: better. But, That's all we need. Go and have your vape, Wes. What should you come on, Stacey? I actually think it's you know it's a shame the mirror party is the night after, after Keir's speech because he could have come onto a recording of me singing <laughs> a duet with no. another prominent Labour politician. What are you gonna sing? Something from Greece. Oh God. God alive! What summer
3: loving?
8: Well, there are two. There are two. There are two, there are two opportunities. It's yeah. um, either um, you know some you know summer loving, or um, you're the one that I want. Yeah. It's got it's one of those two. Um, I'm not telling you who my karaoke partner is. Oh, All God, I'm God, saying who is, is who We're is is ready. It? We're rehearsing. No, it's a big name. Is it a big name? Big name. A big Labour name. Big Labour name. Peter Mandelson. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Peter Mandelson doing karaoke. you singing you're the one that I want
2: to Peter Mandelson is the thing that I need in my life. Right, I'm sorry Matt you're not
8: (laughs) not getting that. Uh, Wes, uh, have a lovely where are you on? Uh, Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning. uh, Where we will be setting out (laughs) Labour's plans to reform the NHS get it back on its feet and fit for the future. Wes, cheers to your Espresso Martini. And here's to the return of the spectator and hopefully if we work hard and earn people's trust and support let's hope that we will see the return of a Labour government, but we're going to have to work hard to earn people's trust and that's, oh, that's what we're enough, do. that's enough. It's enough part... It's but we're going to have to work hard to earn people's trust and oh, that's, that's what we're enough. That's do. enough, that's enough. It's enough part It's enough. part of a good broadcast.
2: Angela Rayner and uh, Wes treated now. I'm not sure anyone else has got content like that. Right, uh, finally on the podcast, we thought we'd take a look back at three years of our focus groups and how normal voters have changed the way they think about Keir Starmer. This is Keir Starmer's fourth party conference as Labour leader. So we thought we'd we'd, we'd take a trip down memory lane. I'm joined by, from jail partner, Scarlett Maguire. Scarlett, good to see you.
5: Good to see you.
2: Um, So let's just, let's just rewind the clock all the way back to October 2020. So at that point, Keir Starmer had been what, Labour leader for about six months. Mm -hmm. This is what the focus group then had to say about Keir Starmer. To be honest,
5: I haven't really been following him.
3: Obviously, he's very new into the job, but he hasn't really challenged the government very much by bringing in alternative suggestions.
5: I haven't really listened to him. I get quite a good vibe from him, but I agree he doesn't challenge enough. I think Angela Arena does the best of job of doing that.
3: I don't
7: really
1: know much about
7: him, to be honest. Yeah, I, I don't know too much about him, but I would say he seems like quite a viable opponent. I don't know much about him at all.
1: I
6: think he's tried to raise conflict in the last week or so where conflict shouldn't really exist well from what I've seen of him to be fair it doesn't matter what was said and done he's going to find the opposite
2: so we should go you know rewind it back to October 2020 we were sort of heading back into Dad again there's a lot you know a lot of that was part of it it's fair that six months in people didn't know much about him
5: yeah i mean i think they definitely didn't and i think as you say i think the timing is quite crucial because he became prime minister and He, ba- oh, sorry he became leader of the opposition we basically instantly went to lockdown uh, and labor throughout that were being i mean i think the public were on board with this were being very supportive of the government and so actually like you know there wasn't a big opportunity for him yeah. to come and criticize an awful lot uh so i think yeah i think that's just a reminder of how little he was known then
2: So let's then jump to October 2021. This is what the focus group then thought about Keir Starmer.
4: I dislike Keir Starmer. He uses his law background to try and bamboozle Morris. And anything that has gone wrong, he's very, very quick to say, well, I would have done this or I would have done that.
8: Whether it's fake news or not, Keir Starmer is actually remembered for the one that let Jimmy Savile get away. He was in charge of the CPS at the time. And a lot of people don't know who he is. He's not made that impression.
7: I feel that the Labour Party were were so behind after Jeremy Corbyn, we needed this big, strong character
3: and there wasn't one. He's an absolute tool. I wouldn't trust a word that comes out of his mouth.
4: He's not a likeable character. And I don't like the fact that he just kind of, well, hindsight's a wonderful thing and anyone could be in a good job. If they knew everything, they could predict the future. Then obviously everyone would get the right answers.
2: I would struggle to recognise a picture of him. A
8: completely wrong man for the job.
4: He looks a bit of a weirdo.
2: I mean, that was pretty brutal. L- listening back to that, I do remember that. Uh, I mean, he'd be pleased at being described as a tool, given that, as we all know, he's father of, of, of a tool. toolmaker. <laughs> uh, he'd probably take that as a compliment. Um, but there was also the Captain Hindsight thing, which is what, essentially, Boris Johnson was hammering in with yeah. at that point.
5: I mean, I think what we can see is there were some Boris Johnson attack lines really landing there yeah. for Keir Starmer. And actually, you know, October 2021, Boris was riding very high. I remember, um, you know, people were saying 10 more years of Boris Johnson or whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, and I think we can see that Keir Starmer was really suffering by comparison at that point.
2: And there was that, and people got very cross with the focus groups. The willingness of the general public to give the benefit of the doubt to Boris Johnson. They, they could see the pandemic was a... Unexpected, mm. once in a lifetime event, and the sense that he was doing his best, and no one would have known what to do, really persisted long, bef- long after Twitter had given up. No,
5: absolutely, and I think this is a really good reminder because it just shows again just how harshly they're them. Because I think you know it's a relationship where if they view um, the prime minister well, they're more likely to view the leader of the opposition badly, and I think we're seeing that at the moment. We saw it last year, particularly. We can come to this with Truss and Starmer. um but I think what is quite interesting here is this pre-party. So it's before the public's mm. sort of opinions about Boris Johnson were completely shattered.
2: OK, but let's jump ahead then to this time last year. Obviously, we're in the, in the midst of Liz Truss. I'm not sure. I think we did do a Liz Truss focus group. I think it might have been after she just became prime minister. So that's the, like, literally a couple of days later. <laughs> so that was just the, just the context. She was, she was not really unpopular at that point. <laughs> uh, this is what the focus group said about Keir Starmer a year ago.
5: Never heard of him. I'm a little bit wishy-washy.
7: I haven't got anything major negative to say, but I just don't think he inspires a great deal of confidence. I wouldn't think, oh, I'd definitely vote for him as a person.
3: I'm a bit on the fence with him. But like I say, the first thing I've seen of this Keir Starmer is when he's having a go at him in Parliament, and then it obviously come out about him going out as well and, and being out when obviously everyone's supposed to be on lockdown and staying in. I think the only thing I'll find of him is he has the knack to own up to it and... Apologise.
8: He does seem a bit more ever so slightly in tune with
3: what's going on.
2: I don't believe he's got a clear direction at the moment. He's he's okay to counter uh, whatever the Conservatives are doing, but he's not really putting any anything down for what he wants to do.
1: I find him a bit of a people pleaser, and um, but he's likeable.
5: I don't trust him, say the truth.
2: Really, I mean, clearly it's in a mixed bag there, but it that the mood is changing.
5: mood is completely changing. He's still struggling with cut-through. You get the inevitable, I don't know who he he is. is, Um, uh, Still, get but anyway. um, Yeah, but he is changing. And actually, if you go just on data, not on focus groups, this was about the period where he was technically his most popular. He was in sort of positive ratings. He's now slipping back down to negative, still better than Sunak. Um, But it's been a sort of, actually, in terms of favourability, it's been a story of slight decline over the last year. So here, again, in contrast to trust, people were thinking maybe he's all right.
2: And then in this month's focus group, uh, we had a group of people who voted Conservative at the last election and t- now say they're going to vote Labour. So they have switched and we were trying to sort of get under the bonnet of it looks great 20 point lead in the polls, but how baked in is it? Is it a positive Labour vote or a negative turning away from the Tories? So this is what uh, the focus group this month said about Keir Starmer.
4: Vague. The first word was actually watery, but I thought that's quite rude. So I've changed it to vague.
2: For
7: me, it's a fresh start.
2: I, I just I can't think of a word really because
6: uh,
1: I just don't know anything about the chap at all.
5: I'll be really honest; I don't know who he is. I guess the word would be unsure.
1: I don't want to call him a liar, but some people do. I don't know, like going back on policies.
7: I would say probably a typical politician because when they're trying to get into power, all they do is slander the other party to try and make themselves look better
2: vague, watery. I mean, we've had that for a long time. But what's striking is these are self-identifying Labour voters. They are the people currently giving Keir Starber a 20-point lead. They don't sound very enthusiastic about it, Scarlett.
5: No, they absolutely don't. And this is something we've been hearing in focus groups, you know, for the last few months. But I feel like everyone is actually sort of catching up with it a bit more. I mean, they should have just been listening to more of ours, clearly. But um, are people are catching up with it a bit more. You, the voters are really hesitant. Um, even the ones that say they're going to vote for him. I think, you know, it, it, it's become a bit of a cliche to say it now. But people are just so fed up with the Conservatives. They'll basically give anyone a go. Actually, most of them are deciding they just don't know how they vote or they won't vote at all at the moment. Not if you put them all together more than they say they're going to Labour. But even the Labour ones aren't very enthusiastic.
2: And the thing is, um, the same as a pit whenever anyone talks about private polling or private focus groups, there's no way that Number 10 or the Labour Party have got are getting different answers. <laughs> and in fact, you know, I bumped into Deborah Madison last night. She used to uh, used to come on the show because she used to do, you know, she used to be Gordon Brown's pollster. She used to come on the show and do focus groups for us. She now does it for... Keir Starmer, she'll be hearing exactly the same stuff. So what do you think they should be doing to try and turn that sort of uh, mm, wishy-washy, always a bit oh, uh, but I might vote for him anyway, for I'm really looking forward to voting for Keir Starmer.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're, they'll be very aware of this, but they're walking a very difficult tightrope, aren't they? Because on the one hand, they're hearing all of this from focus groups which we don't know what he stands for, what's he going to do? He might just be like everyone else anyway. You know, sort of tarred the same brush that all of those politicians, you know, they just think they're lying to some, to try and get into power, however, he's also got to be careful because voters have um, quite deeply held and residual anxieties about how Labour will handle things like the economy and immigration. And actually, just because they think the Conservatives are handling them so much worse at the moment, doesn't mean they might be triggered by something that Labour say they're going to do. Maybe saw that a little bit with that EU um, sort of small boats announcement that he did. Saw him treading on some, like slightly more difficult water there, but um, it's tricky. But they're going to have to do something because actually, at the moment, people are just not... They can't bank on these people, I don't think.
2: And we should remember that in uh, 2001 and 2005, Tony Blair was behind in the polls before then... Uh, maybe not 2001. I'm not sure William Hague ever got ahead of the polls. But certainly 2005. But in the white heat of an election campaign, polls narrow. It's, te- it's a test of the metal, And the Tories are ruthless. As we saw last week, if they can't find something to attack Labour for, they'll make it up. Yeah. And it becomes... You know, if that 20-point that lead very easily becomes a 10-point lead, becomes a five-point lead, becomes hung parliament.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it is, um, you'd be very silly to rule that out. The only thing I would say is that just quite how um, public opinion has turned towards the Conservatives. So, I mean, you, you know, we've seen this in focus groups, see this in focus groups everywhere. But uh, people are just so fed up and they'll say, well, I'm going to vote for anything if it means getting this lot out. And their faith, I think it's not even um, it's so much a dislike. They don't even dislike Rishi Sunak, but they just don't think they're going to be able to get anything done at all. And, you know, th- I feel like that's, most people feel like it's in such a desperate state that they'll roll the dice anyway.
2: And how have you found out? I mean, the mood. I mean, what's the mood? Is a slightly sort of cliche question at party covers, but it. It's so different to last week.
5: Yeah, it feels incredibly different. I mean, I thought last week wasn't quite as bad as I was expecting, but I just think that's because my expectations were, you know, sort of rock bottom. Um, but it was, it was fine. But this week, it just feels so much more upbeat, it's so much more lively. There are more people around, many more MPs as well. I barely saw any MPs last week, um, and it does feel like there's much more of a buzz about the place.
2: Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's probably right. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it yeah. uh, pans out. Yeah. Uh, good, uh, good to see you, Scarlett. <laughs> Scarlett there. And that's all we've got time for on today's episode of the podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any future. Episodes but for now for me, Matt all is goodbye.